of missionaries that IBM Global is facilitating around the world. We're so thankful for Alan and his family and all that they're doing. And now the question is, what will we do, right? Well, we are excited to share that we have been exploring the possibility of a short-term mission trip from MVBC to go and assist the Alungas out there in Zambia, perhaps even as early as this summer. Please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5 today. Mark chapter 5. As you turn there, I want to ask you a question. Where do you turn in times of desperation? When you feel the hopeless sensation that the situation is so bad that it is impossible to deal with, who do you look to? Let's see what this woman in Mark chapter 5 does. Starting in verse 25, it says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that we live in a sin-cursed world filled with crises. The kind of crises that Alan just shared about having a chance to minister to people in Zambia who are going through such difficult situations that few of us can even comprehend. Lord, as we come to your word today, we recognize that we too are desperate, desperate for you. And we pray that as we open up your word this morning, you would speak to us in ways that only you can, that we would see truths that are, are necessary if we're going to experience the transformed, abundant life that you desire for us, that, that you died and shed your precious blood to pay for. We ask that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we think about this question, where do we turn in times of desperation? I want us to think about the majority of people in this world who do not yet know Jesus, who have not heard the gospel, who have not yet clung to Christ as if clutching a life-preserving ring while drowning in the icy waters of this sin-cursed world. As I travel from airport to airport, city to city, country to country, I'm often reminded of an old Steve Green song entitled, People Need the Lord. It says, every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. And on they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries that only Jesus hears. That is so true. That's what I see as I travel around the world. People who need the Lord. Last Sunday, Lorelai shared her vision for creating a missions photojournalism ministry in order to use her camera lens for us to see people the way that Jesus does. In fact, the video that we just played was her first project. I pray that we will see people the way that Jesus does. As souls created in his image, as sheep without a shepherd, and when we see them that way, what will we do about it? Well, I pray, like Jesus, we will be moved with compassion. And when we're moved with compassion, I hope it leads us to two actions. Number one, that we would recognize our own sinfulness and cling to the cross of Christ ourselves for our continued journey through this sin-cursed world. But number two that we would look around and see those who have not yet received the gift of salvation and throw out the lifeline to them so that they can be rescued 
by the holy God who cannot look upon sin and yet loved the sinner so much that he came to seek and to save the lost and to die in our place that whoever would believe in him would not perish in eternal punishment of hell but experience eternal and abundant life. It's only when we recognize our desperate situation that anyone recognizes the goodness the mercy, and the grace of God. Moments of desperation are designed by God to be a turning point where we exchange our issues for understanding of who he is, where we exchange anxiety for his acceptance, where we exchange our problems for peace as we find our identity in Christ. The lost world around us is desperate for answers, for hope, for peace. But if we are all honest, we're equally desperate for the same thing because it's so easy to slip back into a lifestyle of striving, of stress, and anxiety even after trusting Christ for salvation for our sins. We trust him for eternity, and yet we struggle to trust him in our day-to-day lives. We take our eyes off of our Savior and onto the storms all around us. As Charles Spurgeon said, My dear friend, I am a poor sinner still, and I have to look to Christ every day as I did at the very first So as we come to worship today, I hope it isn't merely a tradition or a habit. I pray that there is a genuine desire in people's hearts to know more, to be more, to experience God more. You see, it isn't enough to want to be an improved you. A better you, an inspired you, a respectable you. No, we all need a truly transformed life. We need to not just stop at being religious or moral. We need to be transformed. The transformed version of you, from caterpillar to butterfly. What a difference that is. As I look around this room, I see People just like me who face the same stresses and struggles and want to experience peace and joy. I see people who are doing their very best and yet probably often feel like you're coming up short. And the harder you try, the farther out of reach that goal of peace and joy seems to be. Today, as we examine the interaction between Jesus and the woman in Mark 5, we will see a demonstration of pursuing transformation of life. Pursuing it with desperate determination. Earlier, we started in verse 25, but let me tell you some important things about the context of this passage so that you can see what led up to it. And then what results from this encounter with Jesus? In verse 21, Jesus came across the sea and a very important ruler of the synagogue named Jairus comes up to him and asks Jesus to heal his daughter. Now synagogues were like churches to the Jews. There was a temple in Jerusalem which was the center of Jewish worship. But in other cities and towns, there was a synagogue where people could go to study the Old Testament and worship Jehovah. The ruler of the synagogue was in charge of organizing and teaching the services there. Usually, the ruler was a Pharisee. And as we know, the Pharisees hated Jesus. They saw him as a threat to their power and position. Well, it is within this story of the synagogue official Jairus that this woman shows up, and we can learn so much from her experience. But the main idea that I hope you will leave here with today is this. The dilemmas of our lives 
create a desperate desire for total life transformation that only Jesus can produce, but that we must pursue with passion. Only Jesus can produce that transformation, but he will only produce that in those who have humbled themselves, who come to him broken, who come desperate, who surrender their lives. As we see in Scripture, those who are seeking him will find him and the abundant life that he provides. So let's dive into this real-life historic account and see what happens. Let's go back to verse 25 again. It says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. (laughs) So this woman had problems. Problems that are very similar to yours and mine. Let's see what we can learn from this woman's life. First, our problems are interconnected and far-reaching in extent. That's what we see from verses 25 and 26. We start off seeing that she had physical issues. She was bleeding for 12 years. Most likely, uterine bleeding. And think about that. For 12 years, to have that kind of loss of blood, you get physically weak. You become anemic. 12 years. It was 12 years ago when I first came to New Hampshire to consider joining IBM Global. A lot's changed since then. I look around and I see many from our youth group here today. Some of you are 12 years old. So for your entire life, she would have been having this issue of bleeding. And this led to financial issues. Verse 26 says she spent all that she had for the medical treatments. In fact, she suffered many things under many physicians. So she's a very poor woman who's in very poor health. And this led to social issues as well. Because in this day, when you shed blood, you were viewed as unclean. Meaning you were cut off from family, from friends, and from all of society. According to the Old Testament law in Leviticus 15, anyone that you touch while bleeding becomes unclean with you. And no one wanted that. So she was an outcast of society for 12 years. She couldn't go to public worship into the temple. She couldn't go to the the section of the temple reserved for the women. She couldn't go into public without making people aware of her condition. Can you imagine being cut off from society for that long? I mean, COVID gave us a glimpse of it, right? People in quarantine, meeting for church services in cars. And, and, and you know, it, there's a lot of similarities. Instead of being touched, being considered unclean, we all know what it was like to have that itch in the back of your throat and not want to cough because what are people going to think? Holding in that sneeze lest they think you're going to infect them. That was this. Imagine that feeling that you had under COVID restrictions for 12 years. Oh, the COVID quarantines were nothing compared to her life. And all of this leads to mental and emotional issues because you can't have all of these other issues without it messing with your mind. I mean, that's what we're seeing in the wake of COVID too, isn't it? So many people struggling with depression. So many people turning to suicide. All these problems produce stress. I mean, who lives with no money and isn't depressed? Who has sickness for 12 years and doesn't get discouraged? Who faces social problems of being an outcast and isn't emotionally scarred? All of this leads to spiritual issues. They lead to this huge problem. 
Where is God when day after day, month after month, year after year, everything goes wrong? You know, we expect to go through problems every once in a while, but it's bad when your whole life is a problem. Have you ever met such a person? You see them coming and you turn the other way because you know wherever they go, problems follow. Well, that's this woman. Her entire life was a mess. Let me ask you, is there anyone here with problems today? Of course there are. Because we're frail humans. We all have them. So let's see how to deal with problems. Dealing with problems often leads to a dilemma. We see this in verse 27. A dilemma is a situation where someone has to choose between two or more possible actions, either of which will bring difficulties. So let's learn from this woman's experience. Verse 27 says, When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. She had a choice to make. I mean, when we see the extent of her problems, we see this dilemma she has. She had three options, really. First, she can choose to just give up on ever overcoming her problems. She could decide to just live with all of these issues until the day she dies. Now that is hopelessness. Maybe some of you have settled for that option in your life. Maybe it's been years that you've settled for that option. You don't have to be hopeless. Option two, she could choose to keep trying to find her own solutions like she'd done for the past 12 years But now she has no money, so that doesn't seem to be a good option either. And perhaps that's where some of you are with your problems. This does seem to be the default setting for many of us, right? Human nature, just work harder. Do more. Make a way. But that is exhausting and often futile because no matter how hard we try, There are some things beyond what we could ever do in our own strength. We need our Creator. We need our God. And so the third option that she faced was going out into public. She could risk the public ridicule and venture out to be healed by Jesus. Oh, this is a big risk for her because Jesus is always in public. She'll never be able to find Him in private. And she has to go into public knowing that others will look at her in judgmental ways because she's an outcast. Perhaps some of you risked ridicule from your family or friends just to be here today. You came hoping to find answers at church, but people may mock you at work this week if they knew you came. Maybe some of you are watching online for that very reason. Well, those were the options for this woman. Can you imagine her fears? What if people won't let her get near Jesus? What if they cast her out of their presence as an unclean person? What if Jesus treats her that way? What if Jesus won't heal her? Or worst of all, perhaps she doubts What if Jesus is unable to heal her? Surely she faced all these fears because she was in a spiritual battle that Satan did not want her to win. What a dilemma. So what did she do? Well, she chose option three. She went to Jesus. And what we see next is that desperation leads to determination to surrender to Jesus. So he can overcome our problems. Go back to verse 27 with me. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. This woman was determined to overcome her problems. She faced her fears and headed out into public. 
She was probably hoping that when she found Jesus in the crowd, that perhaps she could just at least come up to him quietly, silently, when things were calm. (laughs) Can you imagine how disappointed she was when she finds Jesus right in the middle of a major community event? He's helping Jairus, the rich, influential, religious, popular leader of the synagogue. The Bible said that the crowd pressed in on Jesus at this point because everybody wanted to see what Jesus would do for this important man. And that's the scene that this woman discovers when she comes to Jesus for help. Now, she could have given up right there. She could have turned around and gone home. She could have thought, who am I to interfere with all of this? Notice the distinction between this woman and this man. We know the man's name. He's Jairus. But this woman is a nobody. Even to this very day, we still do not know her name. This man had money. The woman had none. This man was popular. This woman was an outcast. And so now, this nobody comes to Jesus while he's on his way to help a somebody, and now this woman's blessing gets in the way of another person's blessing. Wow. I mean, she was brave. She was determined. But really, what did she have to lose? When you've tried all the doctors in town, when you've spent all your money, and no one will talk to you because you're ceremonially unclean, it's not a bad idea to turn to Jesus. I mean, when you've, when you've tried everything else and nothing else has worked, perhaps that is a hint it's time to turn to Christ. On second thought, perhaps that's where you should have started to begin with. So here she is. It's a turning point for her, and she decides to go through with her plan. But notice how she does it. She sees the crowd and thinks, maybe I can just blend in and no one will see me. So she comes up behind Jesus because she doesn't want to be seen. She's unclean. She doesn't want anyone to know that she's there and then point and cry out, unclean, unclean. For then the crowd to disperse with judgment in their eyes and fear in their hearts that they might too become infected by her uncleanliness. Perhaps this is one of her bleeding days, and it could be an embarrassing moment if someone discovered her. And so she's embarrassed, timid, and cautious. She sneaks up behind him, and the text tells us she wants to touch his coat. Why in the world would she want to touch his coat? How's that going to help her? You'd think she'd want to actually touch Jesus, not his coat. But the text specifically says she wants to touch his garment, his coat, his cloak. The text tells us why. Because she's thinking in her mind, if I touch his garment, I will be made clean. Why? Well, actually, there's some serious theological significance here. You see, the story is recorded in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each one of them gives us slightly different perspectives with details that others might not give. And so as serious students of the Bible, we need to compare them all to harmonize the Gospels. And when we do that, we find a very interesting detail in Luke 8, verse 44. Because there we see she didn't just want to touch the coat. She wanted to touch the hem of his coat. You see, this was a full body length coat. The garment went from the shoulders all the way down to the ground. And there's theological significance here. First, to touch the hem of anything, you have to get low. You have to be humble. She had to get on her knees. And in humility, touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Second, according to the Jewish law, as seen in Numbers chapter 14, 
the men were supposed to wear four tassels on the hem of the garment, like the one you see in the picture on the screen. There were two tassels in the front and two in the back, and they were little extensions on the four corners of the garment. Why did God tell the men to have their clothes made with these tassels? (laughs) As a theological reminder. And this is the kind of thing that you and I would never know without some serious study, but every Jewish person knew from their training that they got in the temple or synagogue at age 13. When a Jewish person saw these tassels, It was to remind them that they were part of the covenant community of God that lives under the commandments of God. The tassels were a visible reminder that you don't belong to you. You belong to God. In other words, the hem of the garment was a theological reminder that you are my covenant people who live by virtue of my commandments. And the Jewish woman knew all of these details well. So let's see how this connects with the woman's situation. The text tells us that when she had lost everything, health, money, friends, family, emotional stability, she still had one thing. She still had God. So she said, let me get to that hem. She believed that since the hem is God's commandment based on God's covenant, and since God said in his covenant that if you come to me based on my commandments, I will heal your sickness, she could come to him in faith. She believed that if she came to God based on his covenant, that he would take the curse and flip it around, turning it into a blessing. She thinks, my whole life is a mess, but I believe that if I can get close to Jesus, he can turn my whole life around. But there's something else to think about here. How many Jewish men were in the crowd? Well, there were many, right? And they all had those same four tassels on their robes. Why didn't she just touch one of them? She wanted to touch Jesus' garment. Why? I believe it's because she knew who Jesus was. It says, when she heard about Jesus in verse 27, if we think to John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One of the names for Jesus found in the Bible is the Word of God. He's the living Word. And now she understood that the tassel represented the written word of God, the Bible. And she understood, hmm, if I can ever get the written word of God represented by that tassel and the living word of God, Jesus, right there in front of me, if I can get those two in the same place at the same time, I have everything I need for a totally transformed life. And she was right. She knew he was what she needed. Jesus, the whole word, live and able to transform her whole situation. And so she goes and touches Jesus. What about us? That same principle applies to us today. Whenever you can get this word and that word, Jesus then you have every word you need to face any situation. There are so many people who are religious out there. They know God's word, but they've never had a life-transforming encounter with Christ. They've never repented of their sin and put faith in him, entering into a covenant relationship with their Savior. What she needed is what mankind needs today. Well, she touches Jesus despite the fact that Leviticus 15 says, if you have an issue of blood, you should not touch anyone or make them unclean. Meaning she defied the Jewish law. That's a huge deal. Can you imagine what Jairus, the synagogue leader, and all of the others around must have thought? How dare 
dare this woman bring her unclean self to the pure Son of God? How dare she defile him and trample on the Old Testament law? What made her think she could do such a thing? Well, it's quite simple, really. She understood that in Jesus Christ, grace is greater than the law. She understood that the law came by Moses, but grace came by Jesus. The law said, don't touch, but Jesus said, come to me, all who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus is greater than the law because he fulfilled the law. So in an act of faith, the dirty, contaminated, poor, lonely, and anonymous woman touches Jesus. Thinking, I believe he will heal me. And as proof that I believe, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to get that healing. And what we see next is that God is able to deliver us from every problem in this sin-cursed world. Oh, he is able but I want you to make very close note of this next statement. God is able, but God does not always choose to remove all of our troubles in life. He most certainly can, and sometimes he does. But he doesn't always. And if he leaves problems in our lives, it's because he still wants to teach us more through that problem. The Apostle Paul would later discover this when he would pray for a problem that he called his thorn in the flesh to be removed. God could have removed it, but said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, and that problem will remain. However, in verse 29, we see that it is a very different case for this woman. Join me in reading verse 29 to 34. It says, immediately... The fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his, his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Here we're told that immediately the flow of blood dried up. What does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, that it was actually flowing on this day. <laughs> you talk about an embarrassing situation. No wonder she went up from behind. But now we see she immediately gets two physical blessings at once. First, there was the physical healing of the symptom. The bleeding stopped. But second, it wasn't just that the bleeding stopped. Her permanent physical problem was solved she felt in her body that her affliction, the cause of the bleeding, was healed. Did you see that? She felt in her body, verse 29, that she was healed of the affliction. How did she know? Well, there was this inner confirmation, an inner peace, that not only did Jesus dry you up, but he fixed you up. This inner sense comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a peace that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will have in times of your problems as well. Now let's notice as Jesus enters the picture, he, he senses something happened, that somebody stole something from him, that, that someone had snatched power from him. <laughs> and so he asks the question. Now I know you already know this, but just as a way of reminder, when Jesus asks a question, He's not doing it to find out new information that he doesn't already have. No, he's asking a question to draw out a truth that other people need to see. He wants to teach an important lesson to this crowd right now. So he says, who touched me? And then his disciples make themselves look foolish by saying, what do you mean who touched you? 
look at this crowd. Who didn't touch you? <laughs> now, there's an important life lesson here. Being part of the crowd doesn't mean that you're touching Jesus. Just hanging on for the ride doesn't mean you're touching Jesus. Being pressed near to Jesus doesn't mean you're touching Jesus. It says there was a multitude of people around him, but Jesus only felt one touch. These people thought numbers of people meant access to God, but just because you're in the vicinity of Jesus doesn't mean you're getting the power from Jesus to deal with the issues of your life. Too many churches are filled with a crowd, but no one is touching Jesus. They might be talking about him, they might be singing about him, but never experiencing a relationship with him that makes a difference in their life. Perhaps that could be true of you as you sit here today. The question I have for you this morning is not, are you a part of the crowd? But are you the one at the hem of the garment? Because that's where the power is. Are you kneeling humbly at the feet of Jesus today, ready for him to change your life? Well, the Bible says that Jesus looked to see the woman who touched him. Verse 32, he, he knew who she was. He didn't have to search for her. And she was scared to death. She came to him trembling. Was her fear of humiliation about to happen? I mean, she knew who Jesus was. She recognized she was in the presence of greatness. Sadly, I'm afraid that we have many people coming to churches all over the world week after week, and they don't know who they're dealing with. I'm afraid a lot of people who show up don't even know who they're worshiping. Jesus Christ is not some comic book superman. He's the eternal Son of God who is here to declare the purpose and the power of God to the people of God who are willing to stoop down and touch the hem of his garment. And so this woman, scared to death, comes trembling before Jesus and admits that she touched him. She comes him, to him in spirit and in truth, and she worships him. Now we see why Jesus asked who touched him. There are four clear reasons. Number one, God never gives a blessing for which he does not want the glory. He wanted an expression of gratitude. Number two, he's not done blessing her yet. Remember, she started this day as a nobody, and now she's called daughter. When God touches you, you know that you're not a nobody anymore. He didn't call Jairus son, but he calls her daughter. Jesus doesn't just know her by name. He now knows her by relationship. He calls her up in public, and in doing so, doesn't humiliate her, but rather changes her reputation in an instant. She's no longer an outcast. And now he wants to confirm a spiritual blessing. He tells her to go in peace. Oh, the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, means far more than just the English word peace that we use. It's not just the absence of conflict. It means to have a well-ordered life. She started this day with her life being a mess, and now Jesus told her, I haven't just reset you back to zero. You're not in neutral. You're not at a new start that you can mess up again. No, Go and live a well-ordered life. In fact, the word that we see for heal in verse 34, the Greek word where it says made you well, it can be interpreted as either heal or save. I believe that he is fixing up her whole life, not just her health, because I believe this was her day of spiritual salvation. This day was not just the day of physical healing. This was the day of her being spiritually born again. She didn't come to Jesus 
sorry, Jesus didn't come just to heal the sick. He came to seek and to save the lost. And today she's been found. You see, Jesus asked who touched him so he could get all of this out into the open. So that he could do the other things he also wanted to do for her and for the others. Because he's not done yet. He still wants to reveal himself more to the crowd. Remember how it all started? Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus to heal his daughter. Which brings us to our final thought of this day. When God is praised for blessing one of us, it strengthens the faith of others who are desperate for transformation. While Jesus is still speaking, the servants come and say to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Can you imagine the emotions that Jairus must have been feeling? Now, most people would have responded with anger, right? They would say, wait a minute, Jesus, I came to you first. And now this outcast came up, and you had to stop and talk to her. But if you would have just come with me, my daughter would have been healed. Instead, you gave this woman her blessing, and it caused me to miss out on mine. While you helped her, my daughter died. You know, there are many of us who would act that way. God, why are you giving that person the job I wanted? Why does that woman get a husband while I'm still single? Why can that woman get pregnant while I'm still barren? Why does everyone else get the blessings while you leave me to suffer and things just seem to be getting worse? Many of us struggle with thoughts like that. But not Jairus. When he saw what Jesus did for the other woman, his faith increased. The same God that took care of that woman is capable of healing my daughter or even raising her from the dead. Do you see the power of a testimony? This woman's testimony increased the faith of a religious leader. Read with me, verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted that no one followed him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them out of the house, put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. (laughs) What an amazing miracle. The girl who was dead was raised to life. Earlier we saw the the contrast between the woman and the man. Now let's think about the contrast between their blessings and their struggles. For 12 years, the woman had been living under affliction. For 12 years, Jairus had a beloved daughter. The joy of his life. And the same day that this woman's hope is restored because of her healing, this man's hope could have been lost with the death of his daughter. But instead, a greater miracle has occurred. 
Even when things seem beyond hopeless, God is able. So keep believing. Jesus may delay your blessing to help another person, but he hasn't forgotten you. No. I mean, in this story, Jesus took his time in order for him to be able to do a greater miracle. After all, it's a greater miracle to raise a dead daughter than it is to heal a sick daughter. God will do miracles in the lives of others, not to leave you out of it, but to prepare you for greater things and a greater knowledge of him so that you can know him more, love him more, trust him more, and serve him more. Some of you wonder why God is blessing everyone else but hasn't gotten to your house yet. Well, don't give up on Jesus Christ just because he hasn't arrived yet. He has something greater in store for you if you turn to him. Just make sure that you are where the woman was, at the hem of the garment. You make sure that you're hanging on to the written word, the promises of God, and holding on to the living word, Jesus himself, because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or imagine. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. I heard one amen. That's the God we serve, people. Today we've seen that the dilemmas of our lives create a desperate desire for total life transformation that only Jesus can produce, but that we must pursue with passion. So here we are, all gathered together at Merrimack Valley Baptist Church today because we want to grow. We want to improve. But often, we don't really cling to Jesus. What if, what if we begin to want the healer more than the healing? What if we desire the deliverer more than the deliverance from whatever our problems are? What if we desire the giver more than the gifts that he gives? What if we want God more than we want anything else? That is when transformation can really happen, and not until then. So are you ready to be transformed? You cannot be satisfied by being a better caterpillar. <laughs> That's not what Christ created you to be. You need the transformation. <laughs> you must submit to the process of God to make you the new butterfly version of you that he designed you to be. Then as he transforms us, he can use our life stories to draw other people to himself just like he did through the story of this woman with the issue of blood. This really fits in well with our theme for the last two years. In 2022, the theme was Love Like Jesus, which laid a perfect foundation for this year's theme, Shine the Light. Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. I pray that's exactly what we will do today. I know we don't often do this, but I, I, I feel like at a, at a message like this, at a passage like this, perhaps we've got some burdens that we need to cast on to the Lord today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just ask you, is there someone today who's saying, I am burdened down? I, I already know Jesus as my Savior. I know Him. I, I've been forgiven of my sin, but... I'm weak and I'm worn and, and, and I need to cling to Jesus. I've got problems that I need to cast at his feet. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand. Right, right along with me. <laughs> yeah, I'll pray for you. Perhaps today there are some, either in this room or maybe watching online, and you've never yet come to know Jesus as your personal Savior but you're desperate. 
the problems of life have weighed you down. Well, those are designed to draw you to him for the transformation that only he can produce. And he will forgive you of your sin and change your life if you will admit that you were a sinner. If you will believe in him, putting your trust in him rather than your own works, trusting in his finished work on the cross, trusting that he is God, the son who lived the perfect life and died on the cross for your sin, and that he rose again to conquer death and hell for you. If you'll admit your sin, believe in him, and choose to surrender your life and accept the free gift of salvation that he has given you, he will save you today. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You might say, Jamie, that sounds great, but but how do I do that? Well, it's the beginning of a relationship. Talk to him. Silently in your own seat right now, you could pray a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. My sin has cut me off from you. I deserve the punishment of my sin. I deserve to go to hell, but I believe that you loved me enough to spare me from that. I believe, Jesus, that you are God the Son. I believed you lived a perfect life. I believe you died in my place so that I wouldn't have to die and that you offer me eternal life today. And so today I would like to accept that gift of salvation. A prayer like that, it's not the prayer that saves you, but coming to God and expressing your heart, acknowledging those truths from Scripture, that could be the beginning of a relationship between you and the God who created you. You can pray that right in your own seat, in your own home. And I pray that today will be the day that you come to know Jesus as your Savior. If you prayed that prayer today, or if you haven't, but you want to know more because you're concerned about your eternal destiny, please come and see me or one of the pastors or one of the church members sitting right beside you today so that you can know without any doubt that your sins have been forgiven and you've been made right with God. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for this lesson from the woman who came in her desperate situation. And we pray that we would know you the way that she came to know you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.